This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. And since it's Wednesday, we have a special guest. It's journalist Chip Gibbons. Hey, Chip. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. Chip is the policy director at Defending Rights and Dissent, though he is playing the role only of Chip Gibbons speaking for himself every week for Chip Chat. And we'll uh, dive right into it here in a second. But I've got I've got a hot take. Oh, no. Got a hot oh, take no. here oh, no. about snacks. You would say, oh, about snacks. Okay. Of course. Of course. I'm what do you, what do you think's going on here? subject matter and i was going to discourage that greatly <laughs> now this is about uh snacks and I, i'm not sure if you uh if y'all are fans of the flat chip or fans of chips with ridges oh do, do you guys have I a preference like kettle cooked chips and i feel like most of those do not have ridges yeah they don't i'm, I'm not a i'm not a big ridge guy i'm, I'm more of the uh the, the flatter the flatter type of chip you know, my I, mother was a big fan of the wavy chips when I was a child, though. I imagine she still is. But I re- like the Lay's wavy ones. Yeah. The, um, the, I really like the kettle-cooked chips, salt and vinegar. That is my chip of choice. Well, I always thought of myself as a flat chip uh, kind of guy. But lately, I've been getting more into the ridge chips. And I would consider Lay's, wavy Lay's, a, a ridge chip. Uh, I'd just say that... Most people, when they think of ridged chips, they think of ruffles. They're like, oh, you you like the ruffles. But I will say that the Utz ripples are actually a higher quality snack if you liked ridged chips than the ruffles. Hmm. My uh, potato chip shame. Not only praise a different type of snack, but you bring up a different name brand. I'm very interested how much in kick kickbacks from the snack food companies you are getting, Sam. Like, it's just the unfortunate reality of discussing snacks for our Chip Chat segment that snacks I go by their name brands. I have not named my preferred brand of kettle cooked salt and vinegar chip. You did mention Wavy Lay's. That is true. How much are you I... getting paid by Lay's Corp? <sighs> not as much as I'm worth, I can tell you that. I think it's I think it's actually Frito Lay Corp, but uh, I don't know. Not My, as much as I'm worth. You know, the funny thing about potato chips is that if you look on the uh, ingredients of most potato chip packages, they're actually quite simple, and it's it's somewhat surprising considering how much garbage in general is in our food, especially our snack food. But my my shame is that. Two of my favorite potato chips are just the most, like, just have to be the most garbage-filled shit that you can find. And uh, I'm talking about, of course, baked Lay's and Pringles, which (laughs) the chips, they they don't really resemble anything like a thinly sliced potato the way that other chips do, but they're just so delicious. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember my man here uh, going through some Pringles. I can I can put down a, a Pringle can myself. I've been known to do that. All right, uh, let's move on to the uh, matters at hand here. Big week uh, on the Supreme Court uh, as far as a major decision and as far as a major indecision. 
Um, let's start with the major decision first. Chip, your reaction uh, to the court deciding that, yes, discriminating or firing someone of the LGBTQ community is exactly like firing someone based on sexual discrimination. Yeah, um, it's a good decision. It's the right decision, obviously. Um, I don't know if I'm surprised by it or not. I, I can't decide. I mean, the lower courts have been moving in this direction for some time. I know I haven't personally studied employment law or employment discrimination or employment law for that matter in half a decade. And when I last studied it, there was a bunch of lower court decisions um, sort of ruling in favor of either transgender or LGB people um, arguing that sexual orientation or uh, or gender identity being fired because of that constituted um, discrimination on the basis of sex. And most of those decisions rested on a 1989, I believe it is, Supreme Court decision called Price Waterhouse, which ruled that impermissible sex stereotyping was a type of sexual discriminate sex-based discrimination. So the woman in that case was denied a promotion uh, in part because they didn't think she was feminine enough. She didn't smile enough, wear enough makeup or, or whatever. And, and the court found that that constituted uh, sex-based discrimination. And that opened the door for both the, for the LGBT, for LGBT workers to argue that firing them on that status, either of sexual orientation or gender identity, uh, violated Title VII because it was based on impermissible sex stereotypes. The court didn't actually seem to to go with the impermissible sex stereotype argument. Instead, uh, Neil Gorsuch, uh, surprise, writing for the majority, used the doctrine of textualism, which is a doctrine that is most closely associated with Scalia, hence... Alito's very sort of odd but comical meltdown in his dissent to argue that a textual reading because of sex would indicate that discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity is discrimination because of sex. Um, very straightforward, simple opinion. It's not like a lot of Supreme Court opinions. There's like a seven-part legal test and all sorts of other nonsense and gibberish. Uh, I was not a Gorshik fan obviously, but I was um, impressed by the clarity of his writing and reasoning, which is uncommon for the Supreme Court. There were two areas where he left open some yeah. question. One was uh, the fact <clears throat> he stated that his opinion does not pertain uh, to some of the more contentious cases involving trans rights, namely yeah. public bathrooms, and that also nothing in the decision should be construed as uh, putting an obstacle to objecting on religious grounds and making a First Amendment uh, or, or a claim a, that... A RIFRA claim, a Religious Freedom Restoration Act claim. Right. Um, which... Yeah, I mean, the door is open for chipping away at the broadness of the decision. For the moment, though, the precedent is quite broad and positive. I mean, you know, you could also say he was legitimating sort of his crank theory of textualism by by going down this route. 
I mean, there's a number of um, ways in which, you know, someone other than Gorshek writing a majority or there being a, a concurrence from the liberal judges could be, you know, more desirable. I certainly, you know, you could have gone in sort of different directions. Um, but, you know, it's a straightforward opinion because of sex applies to sexual orientation or gender discrimination. Uh, Alito looks like an idiot, which is not unusual for him. I, his, his, the, um, his, his opinion uh, has some of the dumbest, most bad fake stuff I've ever seen in it. Ignoring the weird appe- appeals to Scalia as though he is some sort of deity in the sky being like, Scalia wouldn't do this. Scalia wouldn't do this. I don't think there's ever been a Supreme Court opinion that so um, relies on the leg- uh, the authority of a justice's legacy who is deceased, but not like actual opinions or precedents, but just like, you know, the spirit of Scalia, um, which, you know, it's not unconstitutional if you violate the spirit of Scalia. But he went off on this really asinine tangent Um, because he argued that employers can discriminate against individual applicants or employees without even knowing they are male or female and fire them for, for their sexual orientation. He goes to this bizarre argument that you could fire someone for being gay without knowing their sex, right? Like if you gave a blind applicant a box an application and one of the questions were are you a homosexual and you never ask them if they're male or female um and that's just like such a preposterous uh line of reasoning you know i i believe that uh gorshek in his majority opinion and alito took great umbrage at this pointed out that you had an example uh there's an office christmas party offices our spouses are invited to it and someone introduces their spouse as Susan, and then that person is fired, you know, that rests on whether or not the spouse of Susan is male or female. But, you know, Alito believes that because you could, in theory, create this bizarre blind application, then, you know, therefore it's not discrimination because of sex. And it's worth pointing out the last person who really expanded Title VII's protections in a interesting way was uh justice scalia um this was a a while back obviously he was still alive because title seven protects says because of sex and that's been interpreted to bar sexual harassment in the workplace and there was a big question about whether or not male on male sexual harassment or female on female sexual harassment for that reason would violate title seven and scalia uh you know, not being much of an originalist or a textualist, ruled that it, it would. I mean, obviously that's the correct opinion, and people have hypothesized why uh, why Scalia did this, but it, it's, it's interesting to think that the last major ex- expansion of Title VII was uh, Scalia, and this time we have Korshak. Though it's, it's worth pointing out that a lot of lower courts have already found, similar to the Supreme Court did, so... In some in some circuits in this country, this would already have been a Title VII violation, but it's obviously very good that the court has ruled affirmatively for this. You know, the one thing I will say, and, and this is not an endorsement of Alito's reasoning, is that 
I do agree with Neil Gorsuch that anyone reading the text of the statute in 2020, you know, reading the words because of sex, you would have to be a fool to to conclude that that wouldn't protect sexual orientation. I, I do think Alito is, you know, right that at a time like 1964, we're like really widespread and just vitriolic bigotry against um LGBT was the norm, people might not have, um, you know, derived that plain meaning from the text. And I do think that undermines the sort of textualist argument, but like words have meaning within the societies that, that they're read in. Um, and, and no one in 2020, I think, can do a good faith reading of Title Seven and conclude that because of sex does not, uh, inc- does not prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity if you're reading this in a society in which, you know, uh, same-sex sexual conduct is illegal in 49 of the 50 states, then sure, you can say people wouldn't have derived that meaning, but, you know, we're not going in a time machine to read the statute. So I, I do I do think that, you know, I, I don't, I, don't I, I do think, you know, Gorshek is, is unwilling to sort of acknowledge the fact that changing social norms does impact how the law is um, interpreted. And, you know, I think that's a a fallacy. It's interesting, there's a lot of legal scholarship on how sort of different understandings of free speech over time have shaped how the First Amendment um, has, has evolved and that today's very expansive First Amendment which is not what the courts did in the 19th and early 20th century, is really rooted in a social-wide change and understanding of what is free speech, right? Um, Early courts would not find that being denied to hold a rally in a public park was a violation of free speech because, you know, picketing wasn't speech or because that a property owner can expel you from their property and the government is 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 the property owner of the public park so they can do whatever they want whereas you know later courts have determined that like no denying someone the right to gather in a public park you know violates their right to free speech and it does rely in part on a different understanding of what speech is and and what it means to be denied that right so i just i just think the one caveat i would add is that of course we read words in the context of the times um, I don't know. I feel like that's self-evident, but you know, uh, Gorsuch and Alito don't seem to think so. Well, <clears throat> whatever uh, Gorsuch had intended, uh, I I knew when I read his opinion or skimmed it rather that when he was talking about how it, at the time the people who wrote the Civil Rights Act may have not intended it for it to protect gay and trans people, but it also, they didn't, probably didn't intend for it to protect other people that it now protects. And I just knew that all the dweebs in the right-wing think tank world would just be reading that and melting down. And however Gorsuch wanted to try to justify it to himself, you know, at the end of the day, it is the correct decision. And in addition to, um, protecting people's rights, it also just like ruined the day of, of right wing shitheads in, in the in the worst way possible for them. 
So it, that was that was very enjoyable. There was the one guy who I think from the National Review who accused Gorsuch of legislating Episcopalianism, which is the most <laughs> bizarre accusation I've ever. Like I, I can't imagine typing that out and not realizing how unhinged you sound. Like I believe the tweet was Episcopalian judge uh, codifies Episcopalian views of sex, and it's like, what? What what planet? What what century are you from? Like, you know, but I, I just I, I didn't even know Gorsuch was an Episcopalian before before this. Um, I love the uh, the Alito uh, word. Well, not word puzzle, like the Alito model of, well, technically you can discriminate on gay people without knowing their gender. And like it, it, it reminds me of a way of of right wing economists in that in just that they construct this world that is just so just out of left field, but they obviously do it in a way so that like you can't argue. It's like boom, my logic is perfect. Uh, you can't argue with it, and and it's just so obscene and. I don't know. I'm being a little inarticulate about it here. It's, but. it's such a bizarre, it's such a bizarre and bad faith line of, of argumentation because like sexual orientation by definition relates to, to sort of sex or, 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 or gender. Um, and to say that it, you could, you know, abstractly know someone is, is, is homosexual and, but not know their, their sex and discriminate against that person in this very uh, narrow, invented scenario. Uh, it, it's just, it, it just, it sh- stretches credibility. And I just, I don't know how anyone with a straight face could sit down and write that. Right? It's just really very foolish. It's like arguing with like like someone who's like a middle schooler who thinks they're very precocious. Right? It's it's such a stupid line of reasoning, but. To someone with a uh, immature mind, it probably sounds very smart. He also has that very bizarre paragraph about necking, which is another example of him. He was just going through all the dictionary definitions of sex from 1964, which he includes all of them as an appendix. Uh, very helpful. I now have a lot of dictionaries. He just randomly has to mention that one dictionary, Random House, definition eight refers to sex as to neck passionately, which is an intriguing definition. And this is the only definition of sexual conduct that is not necessarily heterosexual before he notes that all other dictionary uh, definitions about of sex either were biological sex, like biologically assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. Obviously he doesn't use that language, but but that's what he's referring to. I'm I'm or, not I'm not a lawyer here, but heterosexual intercourse. No, no, I want I want to or sex acts that are inherently heterosexual. And I just I just am very sort of he says, you know, in addition, some definitions refer to heterosexual sex acts. See random house, which gives the definitions coitus and sexual intercourse. <laughs> An American Heritage Dictionary, which just gives the definition sexual intercourse, which I think I, I that's apparently only only refers to heterosexual action, I guess. Um, 
But then to neck passionately is the only sexual conduct listed by a dictionary that is not necessarily heterosexual. But can it seriously be argued that one of the aims of Title VII is to outlaw employment discrimination against employees, whether heterosexual or homosexual, who engage in necking? It's just like... Yeah, I think... Foolish I, in public. Yeah, I think we've uh, read enough from the Alito dissent here. Um, uh, <laughs> The smartest minds in our nation sitting on the Supreme Court uh, citing various dictionaries here to prove their point. 1964, which they include as an appendix. Though in one of the old Communist Party like cases, cases about first time trips of the Communist Party, uh, Justice uh, William O. Douglas included as an appendix a list of state constitutions that had at one point included the right to engage in revolution. Whoa, whoa, what's, uh, what's going on with that noise? Where's this noise coming from? What's that? That noise, that air noise. Where is this coming from? It's my air conditioning came on. Let me move rooms. Hold on. Sounds like well, a jet Chip's, engine. Uh, lighting up the dab torch there. Yeah. I live in a basement. I have no control over the thermostat. I also live next to the furnace and the air conditioning. All so. right. I think this is a good point here to to move switch topics here. Um, let's let's briefly mention uh, what the Supreme Court declined to take up. There were several co- cases involving qualified immunity. This is the doctrine created by the Supreme Court that has allowed police officers to get off the hook for murdering people uh, and other acts of violence. Um, here we are amid a, a national uprising directly related to this issue, the court uh, has declined to take up the case. I know that there's been... The uh, Bracey, which I think really illustrates the absurdity of qualified immunity. Uh, The question asked is whether binding authority to hold a police officer violates the Fourth Amendment when he uses a police dog to apprehend a suspect who is surrendered by lying down on the ground clearly establishes that it is likewise unconstitutional to use a police dog on a suspect by on a suspect who has surrendered by sitting down with his hands up because the clearly established right was previously don't attack me with the dog while lying down. Does that apply to don't attack me with the dog when sitting upright? Um, very serious legal minds here. And the court refused to hear it. Um, Clarence Thomas dissented from this, arguing in his dissent about not hearing the case that qualified immunity was outside the text of the statute. Uh, only two Supreme Court justices have exercised, have expressed skepticism of the doctrine. One is Clarence Thomas, uh, who has some very interesting thoughts on the Reconstruction Era amendments, um, fascinatingly enough. And then uh, Sotomayor. Yeah, why? Well, I mean... I guess it takes what five justices to take up the case. Four. 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 How 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 could they not get two more? This is just straight up cowardice. You know, sometimes I think if you you, I know this might shock people, but you can oftentimes figure out how the Supreme Court is going to rule before the case is is heard. And if you're four justices, you know the five are going to rule against you and set a bad precedent. You might not push to take up the case. Mm. But in this case, I suspect it's probably cowardice. Yeah, there, there, there is reason why you could not want to get four justices to take up a case if you know it's going to lose and set like a precedent like, you know, labor organizers can be um, 
drawn and quartered by their employer. You know, I wouldn't, you know, if I knew the five are going to rule that way, I would probably not. Rich. If, if I'm not mistaken, they, it was only Thomas who dissented. So yeah. Sotomayor could not possibly, dissent, no. even though she clearly uh, wants to revisit the doctrine, she might be a little reluctant to vote to do it uh, under well, under the current court. Yeah. Clarence Thomas is also the only judge who wants to reverse the slaughterhouse opinion, which was a Supreme Court opinion from the 19th century that basically... Uh, gutted the plain meaning of the 14th Amendment. Um, and like nearly every law professor or legal scholar agrees that case was wrongfully decided. And the Supreme Court has, through a, a sort of backdoor, weird, con um, convoluted logic, uh, accomplished the same ends that the 14th Amendment was meant to accomplish. But uh, Clarence Thomas is the only member who wants to reverse that uh, decision, which is the correct correct opinion. Kudos to Thomas here. So his fact that he's so interested in this reconstruction law being interpreted properly is also uh, of interest or of note to me. Well, it's that time again. And by time, I mean the conclusion of Chip Chat and that time when the broken clock is correct in Clarence Thomas. Chip Gibbons, thank you so much for coming on. People can follow you on Twitter at Chip Gibbons 89. Uh, and they can check out your latest podcast, right? It's out now. Yeah, Still Spying is out now, um, wherever fine podcasts are found. All over I don't the place. I know where you find podcasts. But, um, they, they grow on trees now. You can just find I them anywhere. I searched for Still Spying and my podcast popped up. Uh, so. Here's to uh, getting it on the Apple Top 200. Yes, well, we will see about that. Thanks, Chip. Thank you.